Amen. Amen. Thank you, as always, for our worship team for leading us so beautifully. So we're going to talk about those lyrics and uh, that phrase, right? I need you. We, we kind of, I kind of think of romance and relationships when I hear those three words. It really takes me back to November 4th, 1991. Remember that day? Where were you? A lot of you are like, not alive, right? November 4th, 1991 was the day I took this girl to the movies, and it was an awful movie, a movie you never heard of called Little Man Tate. But when you take a girl to movies, it's really not about the movie, right? It's about taking the girl to the movie. So that's what was showing on November 4th, 1991, Marketplace Theater, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And this girl, Kelly Wilson, we've been talking. I don't know what we've been doing. We weren't anything official, but things had been happening over those last few months. And this was the day I had decided to make my move. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we had started talking, getting familiar, spending a lot of time so we could build a relationship. That's Biz Marquis. I don't know. Come on, Hardy. I count on you to remember Biz. So we were at the movies, and it, was, uh, it wasn't a corny little uh, yes or no. It was, uh, it was just a simple, hey, I'm, I'm ready. Are you ready? Will you, will you be my girl? I don't know if that was my, be my girlfriend. I hope I said will you be my girl because that sounds cool, and will you be my girlfriend, right? But it was it was my lead up, lead up. We've been talking and feelings and whatever, but this was a date we had at the theaters like, and that was, we became official. So November 4th, a few months ago, was the 30-year anniversary of us being a couple. We got married six years later, right? So um, it's an important day, and we remember it some years, some days, some years not so much. But I led with, hey, something's happening here, and I'm all about it, and I'm ready to take a next step. Will you be? What I didn't lead with is, hey, I need you, right? That's a little much, right? You don't start with, because if, if you lead with, baby, I need you, like we're not even a couple yet. If you lead with that, it kind of sounds desperate, right? And you don't want to, especially in the early days of a relationship, trust me, you don't want to sound desperate. I have a 17-year-old daughter in the room, right? And there's conversations going on with boys, right? I'm struggling, right? And if, if a boy or young man or whatever, if, if they came to my daughter and they led with, Mia, I need you, right? That's not going to go, right? You don't need my daughter. You need a job, right? <laughs> you need some respect. You probably need a haircut. What you don't need is my daughter. So it's just a bad it's a bad opening line because relationship-wise, you know, in, in dating, romance, relationship, like the last thing, if you don't know this, fellas, like I'm telling you, we're female. The last thing you want to be is desperate. Nobody's attracted to desperate. No single people in the room are like, I'm just looking for somebody who's desperate. But we just sang a song, or maybe you didn't sing it, you listened to it, and there is... There's no way around desperate in the, in the lyrics of, Lord, I need you. And I didn't know the history of this song. The song that you just heard was written like 10 years ago by four or five different songwriters, uh, Christian artists, Matt Marr, M-A-H-E-R is the one who recorded it and was kind of the lead guy on that. So it's, a, it's not an old song. It's a 10-year song. But when you study how they wrote the song, they give credit 
They borrowed the lyrics and the ideas from a song that was written in 1872, right? Very few of you were alive in 1872. And it was a hymn that I didn't even remember that I sang until I studied, but I remember singing this, some of you that grew up in church, and you remember the, like, grab the hymnal, right, in the pew, remember those words we don't use more, hymnal and pew, those are just awful words, hymnal and pew, right, but, but there's a song, if you, if you remember it, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second, there's a song, I Need Thee Every Hour, you remember that song, right, it's, it's cool because it's a multi-ethnic church, there's a lot of segregation musically, historically, which we'll talk about in this series, but, but this is a song that was sang in the traditional African-American church and sang in the traditional white church. Now, same lyrics, very different versions, right? But this song goes all the way back to 1872. So what these guys 10 years ago did is they borrowed some of the exact lyrics, they, but, but, the, but the kind of the heart of I Need Thee Every Hour, which was um, this hymn that was written by a lady named Annie Hawks. Um, check her out. I feel like she deserves a little FaceTime on our screen um, today. And she, she penned the lyrics to this song, and then, uh, and then somebody kind of helped her with a melody. And the next thing, they, they sang it at this convention out west, Midwest, at a Sunday school convention in the 1870s. Next thing you know, it, like, every, it was across the country, and that happened forever many years. And now we have our version Lord, I need you, that comes from the words that she was just a person that went to church. She wasn't a musician necessarily named Annie Hawks. And then 10 years ago, Matt Marr and these guys, they wrote this song for a conference called Passion, which uh, is a conference they do. It's amazing. Every year they do a conference for 18 to 25-year-olds. Um, we would like to send some relentless people, uh, 18 to 25, to the, to the one next year. Um, they rent out the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. They bring all these artists and all this. We'll talk about that even more in a few weeks. But um, Matt Marr and, and, and these songwriters were thinking about all these college kids that come. Like they, 70,000, 80,000 college kids from all over the country and the nation come to this conference. And they're thinking all these college kids are going to be so pumped up for Jesus and they're going to go back to their campus or back to their life and they're going to feel alone and they're going to have a moment where it doesn't feel like it felt in the stadium when you're surrounded by people worshiping Jesus. So between Annie Hawks from, from 1872 and college kids being on their heart, they wrote this song that would hopefully encourage some young people to come to Jesus when you feel in that place. And that's how we got the song that you just heard. And it's really cool. Like I like history, and I didn't know half of what I just told you, um, you know, a month ago. But the problem... As cool as the song is, as cool as the story is, the problem is, I don't know if we believe the song. Let me, let me take you out of the equation, because that could be offensive. You, know, you don't know me. The problem is, I don't know if I believe the song. Like, I believe, like, if you give me a pastor test to keep my credentials, yes, I need Lord, I need you, absolutely. Like, I know the right answer, and I, do, and I, and I don't not believe that. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't know... The desperation and, and what we're going to get to scripture because this is all coming out of, I don't know if I fully understand. I, I know I don't fully understand. I don't know if my life reflects my need for Jesus and why we need him. And this song does a great job of breaking that out. We, we're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement 
of God. It's who we are. It's who we're becoming. That's what, if you come to Walk for Relentless, that's what you're going to hear about becoming a part of, right? So here's how we define the gospel. It's this incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus Christ. This incredible, life-changing, I can't ever be the same news of our what? Of our rescue and adoption. So those words are, are connected to the Lord, I need you, course. Why are we so desperate? Because desperation goes with rescue. I don't know if anybody's ever been rescued. I don't like there's some bad situations where you have to be rescued from something from you get to call 911, whatever, whatever those situations, like those are not light moments, right? There's a desperation. You hear the 911 calls, they're never hardly ever calm. They're frantic. Why are they frantic? Because they need rescue and rescue comes with frantic and desperation, right? To sing this song and more importantly, to live this life, we have to constantly center on the gospel and come back to, like it wasn't that I was just needing cleaned up a little bit. I was dead, I was lost, I was frantic, I was desperate, I was hopeless, I was helpless, I was headed to hell. We, without that, when we remove that, and there's part of our humanity that always wants to remove Helpless and hopeless, like, eh, I don't want. when we remove that, what we lose is our desperation and our need. And if we lose our desperation, our need, then we have a lack of gratitude and understanding that we have been rescued, but it doesn't stop. That's why we, we don't just say we've been rescued. We've been rescued for a reason, to be adopted into his family. Now he's my father. Now I'm his son. Now I have brothers and sisters that are my family, blood bought by Jesus, brothers and sisters, fast, fast approaching an eternity where we're with him forever in a new city, in a new place with real lives, just no death and no end. And I've been adopted into his mission. I've been adopted into his purpose. Now I live for what he created me to live for. So we're rescued and adopted and we need him that changes how we worship we're believing that our worship how we worship not necessarily stylistically but maybe volume but more importantly heart wise our worship is going to change in this series it continues with so many amazing little lines in the song but but one that jumps out is when it says Jesus my I need you my one defense Right, my one defense. We we are in tournament time. I coach a a varsity girls basketball team, and and we are having a blast. And I'm it's a it's a small miracle that my voice is still uh, with us this morning after the Friday and Saturday night crazy beautiful games that we had. And that's part of the coach's job is to call defense. Right, what are we gonna do to stop them from scoring? Right. Well, well, this this that's what I think of defense as sports. This connotation is not sports defense as much as more courtroom is the vibe, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a defense attorney kind of vibe, that Jesus is our defense. He is our go-between. Uh, when, when we would get together with my cousins when we were little, uh, we would usually break stuff at my Pop-Pop's house, as we called our grandfather in Charlotte, Pop-Pop. And it was all on this side of the family, all of the cousins, me and my cousins, were all boys except for one girl, Aaron. Um, so it's a bunch of boys and a girl. So whenever we would inevitably break stuff and didn't want to get in trouble, we would send Erin, right, because she was the only girl, granddaughter, grandchild, and she had Pop Pop's ear like she was the spoiler. Like it was amazing how she would work the system. So whenever we would break something or do something we shouldn't have done, like we would just send Erin to Pop Pop because 
you know, he would like not get mad. And if it was her saying, hey, here's what we did, then, oh, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Now, if it was one of us, it'd be completely different. Well, that's a really poor example, but it gets you thinking of what we're doing here. He's our one. We're not going to God with our performance. We're not going to God with, I tried my best. We're going to God with Jesus as our defense. Here, here's how scripture says it in Timothy. It says there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's a testimony given at the proper time. That's the, the gospel who gave himself as a ransom and he's the mediator. Like there's, there's a holy God and a sinful man and, and how can man get to God? He can't. So there's a mediator. What's a mediator do? He, he brings two things together. Only Jesus can do that. Hebrews says it similarly and says in 9.15, therefore Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He's mediating the two parties together so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, forever focused, since a death has occurred, Jesus, that redeems us from the sins, transgressions committed under the first covenant. Wow, we could preach a year on that verse. Like Jesus came to come between, to unite sinful man. I'm gonna handle the skin and, and sin and redeem you from, buy you, pay my life as a ransom to bring you back to God, the Father. We can't do that on our own. That's the gospel. We're, we, that's why we're hopeless and helpless. What are you gonna do to put yourself back in right relationship with God? Nothing. Jesus comes. And now, as our defense, he's also our righteousness. Because as the defendant, he goes before God, the judge, if you want to look at it that way, and he says, hey, this is my guy. This is my girl. I stood in for them. Their sins have been paid for. They don't exist. They've been covered, removed. I paid the ransom. You can judge them on my holiness, on my righteousness. Jesus becomes our righteousness. And there's a verse that says that. And what I wanted to do for the sake of time was to show you 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, that says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then it's like, see, it's in there, and then we can move on. But we gotta sit in the righteousness of God, that we become the righteousness of God. So we're learning right now as a church, uh, some of us maybe for the very first time, to study scripture, right? We put out a video, I hope you saw it. If not, go find it. It's called... Um, you know, why reading the Bible is overrated. We're not into reading the Bible around here. We're into meeting Jesus in the scripture, right? So we kind of gave you some helps with that. We're doing a chapter a week of Mark. And if you don't know anything about that, join us. We start Mark 5 today, right? A chapter a week going through the gospel of Mark. So as we learn to study the Bible, I can't just throw up a verse that crazy because that's kind of the conclusion of a whole chapter, a whole paragraph that, that God has been making through Paul and, and this letter to, to Corinth. So then, let me go back a verse. It says, we are therefore, this is the, you know, before the end statement, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, the problem with that is, it's got therefore in it, right? And, and the old line of a corny line, a professor in Bible college is, anytime you see therefore, you gotta go find out what the there is there for, right? So therefore is referring to something really important, usually in scripture. Well, therefore, so I can't even talk about that verse because it's talking about something before that. So let's back up a few verses. And it says, so now we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ in this way. We don't anymore. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new has come, the old is gone. But again, it's talking about all this beautiful stuff, but it's therefore going back. So let's go back another verse for verse 14. For Christ's love compels us 
And that's even referring, but we can't do the whole Bible. We'll be here all For Christ's love compels us. That's the motivation. The love of Jesus compels us. We're convinced that one died for all, and now we've all died. We've died to sin, death, and hell, and purposeless living. We've died to that because Jesus died, and he died for a reason. Why? That those who live, that's us, should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and was raised again. That our lives are willingly and joyfully sacrificed every day for this Jesus who came, and we're motivated, not my guilt, shame, or duty, but by how much we are loved by God through Jesus. Then it makes sense to roll back through how we're, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, all this is from God who reconciled, mediated, brought back, reconciled us to himself through Christ and church. This is why we're going to two services. This is why we're getting everything. Like we could just ride this thing out and wait for Jesus to come home or we die, right? But that's not our job. We are here to what? To, to, to give us the ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us. He has given us the responsibility of the message of reconciliation, bringing things back right. People in your life don't know that their sins don't have to count against them. That's the message that we take to people. Now we can say, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What's an ambassador do? I'm sending you to this country to represent my interests. We are the ambassadors of Jesus to this dark broken. Quit having out of your mouth how sinful and evil and satanic this world is, right? It's not, not, it's not false, right? We love this world. We are bringing to the world the message of hope. We were lost once also, many of us. We know what it's like to be empty and not know what you're missing. Our heart beats and hurts for the lost people, not across the ocean, although it does. The people on your street, the people in your dorm, the people in your cubicle who have no idea why they're on this earth. We have been blessed and given the responsibility to help people be reconciled to their creator. We are ambassadors. Now, it feels a little better to get to verse 21. That God made him. How's all this possible? God made him who had no sin, the only sinless life ever lived, Jesus, to become sin for us. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. We say around here a lot that the beginning of life begins when you understand what God sees when he looks at you. Many of you still, when you've put in your head, what do I think when God looks down at me in my life? It's very negative and it's very false. If you are a follower of him and you've committed your life to him, you made a decision to follow and trust Jesus with your life, he sees righteousness. I know that's crazy. I know who I am. I know what I've done. And it is crazy. But I'm telling you, he looks at me, not because of Anything I've done right, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus, he's my defense, he's my mediator, and he gave me his righteousness. He became my sin, and I get his righteousness. I am as righteous as Jesus. Whoa, that's blasphemy. I am as righteous as Jesus, according to God. Not based on my righteous performance, based on his righteous performance. He sees me today, right now, not in my completed, he sees me as righteous. Wow, that changes my week. I don't know about you. My one defense 
my righteousness. There's so many beautiful lines. There's another one in this song. It says, holiness is Christ in me. It says, holiness is Christ in me. Like, holiness is not, you know, my, not just my performance. Yes, it's, it's, obedience is a part of our holiness, but how does holiness happen? It only happens through Christ in me. That's what the scripture refers to as the mystery and the miracle of the gospel, that there's Jesus living in us. Do we believe that? Right? We, we, we so easily go back into a, hey, I'm going to come to church maybe, and I'm going to meet with God, I'm going to meet with Jesus, and I'm going to go live my life, and then we'll come back and kind of see how we did. And Jesus like, no, I'm going with you. Right? We, we, don't, we don't have to come in here and pray, God, come be with us today. He's not, he's not just with us, he's in us. Right? The mystery of the gospel according to Scripture is that unlike the Old Testament when the Spirit of God was alive and well and showed up, it's different. It's indwelling that Jesus actually enters the Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit and goes wherever you go and sees whatever you see and does whatever you do. And this song refers to how that matters in temptation. When temptation comes my way, when Christ is in me, Right? I'm not a perfect man, far from it, but my fight against temptation forever changed when I started to realize I can depend not on a distant Jesus, but a Jesus in me in the moment. When I'm sitting there alone on a Friday night, everybody's in bed, and the remote's in my hand, and I got options that Christ is in me in that moment and available and willing to step up if I Seek and call. And holiness is not my performance. Holiness is Christ being holy in me. It's so much freer to live with Christ as the power in you. The song says, without you, Lord, I fall apart. And I don't know if I believe that, church. I'm being honest. Without you, Jesus, I fall apart. I could get through. I think I could get through this life. I could get through this week without Jesus. Like, I could manage. I would fall apart eventually, but I don't know how long it would take in my own flesh and arrogance and confusion. I, I, I believe without you, I fall apart. It's such a... See, I think we all, at least, I think I can fall into this weird stuff that's going around in our culture in churches, which is like Jesus is here to make me the best version of myself, right? And if, and if he is here to make you the best version of yourself, the problem with that is, well, if you don't have Jesus or you don't need Jesus, then the worst thing that happens is you just don't become the best version of yourself. And that's why that, we all want to be the best version of ourselves. That's not a bad thing, but, oh, man, I think it cheapens. I think it minimizes our... Our desperation, like our goal is for you not to be the best version of yourself. It's like way better than that. Because without Jesus, we do. We fall apart. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. You ever heard this statement? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like how arrogant would it be if I, as your pastor, stood up here and said, listen, church, you need, like, apart from me, without me, without David Jones, y'all ain't going to do nothing? Wow, that's scary red flag stuff in a hurry, right? I would never say that, but Jesus did. He said, that's his quote, apart from you. Here, let me give you the whole quote, John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches, meaning everything flows from me. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
but apart from me. You can do nothing. Isn't it cool? I didn't plan this, that he's talking about bearing much fruit. And those of us that are walking through Mark this week, there's this whole amazing story, parable of the sower, and it's all that. Some people never hear the word because Satan can snatch it away. Like, we got to get the gospel in people's faces because there's an enemy trying to take it away. And in other people, as, as many of you have, have read and studied this week, it's so encouraging to hear stories of families and people walking through Mark together. There's, there's, there's some that they, they get the gospel, but... But as soon as trouble comes, they, they fall apart because there's no root, there's no maturity there. And then there's another group that they get the gospel, they hear it, and they're excited about it. But it gets choked out by these thorns, and it, just, it gives us examples of stuff that can choke out the gospel. It says the deceitfulness of wealth, the pleasures of this world, the cares and worries of this world are in combat against our... And then it says there's others, and this is who we want to be, there's others that produce much fruit. And here Jesus is saying... If you just remain in me, it's not about, hey, let's go produce fruit. It's about, let's be connected to Jesus. And if you're connected to Jesus, you will always bear fruit. But he said, apart from me, if you do your own thing, if you don't understand your desperation, you can do nothing. Well, we think that's just not true, Jesus. I can do something. He's not saying you can't do anything. Like, you can do, you can do stuff. You can't do anything of eternal significance. You can't do anything that'll matter after this short life. You can't do anything spiritual and supernatural like apart from Jesus. We can do nothing that really, really matters. I need you. I need you. Those are powerful words. Right? I don't think we use those words lightly. When I think of that phrase, I need you, I could not believe it this week when it when uh Thursday, February 17th, uh, February 17th is, is the anniversary of my dad's death. I probably have mentioned that a lot of Februaries as, as we've walked through our life together as a church, but this was the 10 year. I could not believe, I cannot believe it's been 10 years since my dad's death, but it was 10 year anniversary a few days ago, and my, my, one if not my strongest, clearest memory of my dad was I was 16 years old, and we were at my grandfather's graveside service we'd so we just buried my grandfather my father's father and there was a lot of dysfunction it wasn't the you know wasn't the healthiest relationship between my dad and his dad and my dad's pretty stoic not a really emotional guy at least at that point in his life and uh kind of the service had just ended and my dad comes to me and my brother my brother's a year and a half older so i'm 16 he's 17 or whatever it was and he wraps us up, wraps us up in a hug which was all normal, but what wasn't normal was he said, what he, what he said, he said, I need you to, I need you, right, and I didn't get that uh, at that age, and, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit, like, what, what's about to happen, like, what, like, he never said that, I don't know if he said that after that, I know he never said that before that, but he was in a moment where his dad had just left this earth, and, and all that comes with that, as many of us no, and he was looking down to the next generation, and he wrapped me and my brother up with his only two sons, and, and he needed us on a level that he hadn't, and it was raw, and it was real, and it was beautiful, and it was powerful. Those words, so different than I love you. I need, there's a desperation. And the opposite is to look at someone and say, I don't need you. And I don't think most of us, maybe some, I don't think most of us would look at God and say, I don't, I don't need you, right? We just sang what we know. We sing that song about the breath in our lungs. I try to take a deep breath. That's 
I can't even breathe without you. I think we know that. But with our lives, we don't say, I don't need you. What, what we say is, indirectly through our arrogance, through our self-reliance, our culture is really big on self-reliance. So we try to bring that into the church, into our faith, into our spirituality. There's no room for self-reliance with Jesus. There's no room for it. It's, it's offensive to our God. So, so with our schedules, with our time, with our money, with our decisions, sometimes we indirectly, without saying it, our lives say, I got this. And when we say, I got this, we're saying, Lord, I don't need you. It takes humility. And, and I'll, I'll try to practice some humility with you. One of the hardest things about this, you know, and it's not just me that preaches here. I'm excited to hear from Joy next week, and, and we're blessed to have a staff of people that can preach. One of the hardest things about preaching is figuring out and being sure of what's from me and what's from God. So you've maybe been to some different churches that do things different. Like for here, like we don't, you never take it as authority because it came out of my mouth. It's really, really dangerous, right? I want to be trustworthy. I'm striving to be that. But scripture is trustworthy. It is easy to twist it to say what human wants it to say. So you always, you never apologize for checking what you hear in this room against the truth and realness of scripture. And this was the moment in the message. All the way up till Thursday, my plan was to go on a little beautiful rant that I thought you needed to hear about if you need Jesus, you also need church. And it's time to come back to church. And you need church and church. And all of that is true. And I don't not believe any of it. But I really felt the power and through several things, Holy Spirit and conversations. That's not what I need to talk about. And I had a very wise mentor of mine say, it is not your job to convince people they need church. It is your job to convince people that Jesus is real. And if people believe that Jesus is real, the church part will take care of itself. I didn't want to hear that, right, pardon me. But at the end of the day, it's not easy, but it is simple. We need Jesus desperately need Jesus. And we get to need, it's not a, it's a beautiful thing to get to need Jesus. There's a freedom that comes from acknowledging I'm nothing without Jesus. I know that's hard on your pride if you've never said that or saying that. I'm nothing. Apart from him, I fall apart. I could do nothing. It's a beautiful freedom because it's true whether you believe it or not, right? Your life is not going to be what it's supposed to be because you didn't create yourself. He did. Only he knows what your life is meant to be and how it can be lived to the fullest. So this freedom and beauty that comes when you embrace it and sing it and live it. There's three options. Let me show them to you, like how they are in my mind with the stage. A, B, and C, right? This is how I think a lot of us deal with this need of desperation of Jesus. A is... I don't need you. This is, this is, this is our, our people that we love at Relentless Church that don't know him, don't follow him, untold, unconvinced. And for whatever reason, they're in a place where I just, I, you know, nothing against what you believe. I don't need any invisible God. I'm not there. B, crisis 
big decisions, somebody's, something's out of my hands, I am coming and I'm praying the prayers, Lord, I need you to get me the, the job, I, I need you to get me the score, I need you to get me the whatever, or, or I need to, to the, the good uh, medical test, I, I need you to save my friend who's on their death, I need, like, this is so out of my hands, and I'm in a tough spot, and I'm in crisis mode, oh, I need you to come through, if there is a God, like, uh, we pray those prayers, A, B, and then C, is what this song is speaking, what scripture speaks of. It's this, every hour I need you. Not that, it's not that my life is completely gonna fall apart today if I don't stay connected to you in that way. That's not the truth of it. Yes, I may survive the week, but I can't live. Right, when Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it more abundantly, this full, abundant life. There's no way I can live, like really live, not empty, not, not hungry. Like why am I? I know I'm here. I know who I am, and I can fully live connected with the Jesus that loves me every day. I'm not perfect. I get distracted, but this is my life. That's what we're talking about. Lord, I need you. Now, here's the reality. Don't be ashamed in any way. If you're in this place of be where I'm coming to God, I need you because I'm desperate and I got a problem. You know what we've seen over and over and over and over and over again? People go from A to C through B. A lot of, not a lot of people go from I don't need you at all to, hey, every day, every hour, I need you. God will use the crisis. He will use your moment. So if you don't even know God, you're like, I don't even know if I can come to him. He does not turn down a humble heart. If you're in a place, I need you, and I don't even know what it looks like to follow you, come to him. He loves that. He will use that. But I'm telling you, what you were meant to live, it's a strong statement. I'm sure the life you were meant to live is a fully dependent every hour. I need you because this life is so deceptive about what it is and what it isn't. And I don't want to get the end of mine and live for all this stuff that doesn't actually matter. I need you to remind me that there's things I don't see. I need you to remind me that you're always working. I need you to remind me that you're gyra and that you will provide. I need you to remind me that you're good, that you got me, that you love me, that you enjoy blessing my life. I need you every second of every day. There's no room for self-reliance as we depend on Jesus. You know, I read up, like I told you, on Annie Hawks, the author of the Every Hour I Need Thee hymn that led to what we have now, Lord, I Need You. And, and I wanted you to read you this quote because I thought it was pretty amazing because the song blew up and it became a really popular song, especially at funerals. It became a funeral song. Uh, you know, we're grieving, Lord, we need you song. And here's what she said. Whenever my attention is called to it, I'm conscious of a great satisfaction in the thought that I was permitted to write to him, I need thee every hour, and that it was wafted, she was an intelligent woman, because only intelligent women use words like wafted, that it was wafted out to the world on the wings of love and joy rather than under the stress of a great personal sorrow with which it has been so often been associated in the minds of those who sing it. I remember well the morning many years ago when in the midst of the daily cares of my home, then in a distant city, I was so filled with a sense of nearness to the master that wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words, I need thee every hour, were ushered into my mind, the thought at once taking full possession of me. 
There is a bigger gap than we even can understand or admit between the life of B, A, B, I'm coming to you in crisis versus the life that you were meant to live of I need you every second. And I think it's beautiful and powerful that the woman who penned those words was not in a moment of crisis. She was at her house doing nominal routine things. There was no crisis, and she was just flooded with the reality of how could anyone live a day without the nearness? Some of you know about God. You know nothing about the nearness and closeness of Jesus. It is the best thing around. And we want that for you. And once you taste that, we start, this becomes more than a song. It becomes kind of our heartbeat, church. What are we going through? March 20th, two services. Whatever's happening in the world, what's happening in our city, what's happening in your life, every, like whatever, joy, pain, hard times, good times, indecision, confusion, stress, all of that. It just, we just need Jesus. Every hour, connected, abiding, living, embracing the desperation that we will not live arrogant lives. How arrogant it is of me to try to live a day of this life on my own. Such a waste. No, 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 no. We're going to admit and embrace and declare. And as we talked about last week, it is really important to sing these truths. God made us to sing. Doesn't matter how good your voice is. What did we tell you last week? If your voice don't sound so pretty, whose fault is that? God's who gave you that voice. He loves it because he's not listening to your voice. He's looking at your heart. I think it might change your week. I think it might change your life. If you sing from your heart, unashamed, your desperate need for God. We're gonna give you a chance to do that. Let me pray for you. Then we're gonna stand up after we pray and Sing this together. Father, would you just meet us again in the song? God, our prayers that it would be a little different than it was a few minutes ago. Not because the song's changed, but because uh, you've given us some context. God, would you make this personal? We know that you're our defense and you're, you're our, you know, all these things for us as the church, as the body of Christ. But God, would it be personal right now? Would, would we put our names in this song? Would would I be able to just lock in that, Jesus, you're my defense, you're my righteousness? And would we make it a personal declaration, unashamed, that we need you every hour? And God, for those in the room, those online that may not, maybe not even sure where they stand with you, God, we pray that, that they would know we're a church, we're ambassadors, we're here to help them come to God, that they can do something online, they can fill out a, a, a form, an email, they could talk to us today like we are so excited and ready to help anybody that might not know where they stand with you. God, for those that know that they are yours, I pray that we could worship you right now in Jesus' name. Would you stand and sing, please?
invitation come my way when I cannot stand to fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I song this week, uh, but part of this series is, and I have no idea the percentage, but we just want it to grow. So there's a percentage of our church that worships God in the, in the bathroom in the morning, in the car. They listen to worship. They, they listen. They participate in worship seven days a week or five outside of Sunday morning, right? So we want that percentage to grow. So you can listen to whatever songs you like, but Jira, I hope, was on the playlist this week. If you could sing this on your way to work tomorrow, like that's what we're talking about upping the percentage of us that are worshiping as we start to really worship and you can worship even another level of crazy at home right in the bath you know you know whatever right just letting so when that happens Sunday morning starts to change right because we, it hasn't been seven days since we gave God something to worship it starts to become part of and it just builds and builds so that's what we're believing is going to happen so you make your own playlist but if, if you need a song we've given you one last week we'll give you one this week with Lord I need you sing that let that let's live that this week We'll give you another one next week. Before I dismiss you, uh, we're, again, if you're one of our eight, like we want to know that you're one of our eight. We need people serving and, and kids and preschool. If that's you, to help us, please sign up on the website. And, and Welcome to Relentless, same thing. Have a great week. Hope to see you next week.